You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. All right, well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you today. Uh, If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, uh, my name is Jake Box, and I just am so glad that you have joined us uh, today as we worship God and hear from Him. And looking forward to our time together now. We're we're actually second to last uh, message in this series that we've uh, entitled uh, Teach Us to Pray. And in uh, this series, we're asking Jesus to do exactly that, to, to teach us to pray. And then this series goes along with uh, the 28 days of prayer and fasting that many of y'all are participating in and, and, our, and our church family. And I hope that that's been really uh, good and helpful for, for you. And so, because uh, prayer is like, it's one of the most important spiritual practices there is. In fact, one reason why that's the case is because Prayer, in, in, a, in, a, in a broad sense, is kind of this umbrella term for just not just communicating with God, but really life with God or communing with God. I think about what the author Paul Miller says in his excellent book, A Praying Life. He says that prayer is the medium through which we experience and connect to God. We experience and connect to God. Or as I said, prayer is the means by which we commune and communicate with God. Now, usually when we think about prayer, we think about the communication part, don't we? And in this series up to this point, we've really focused on that. We've covered talking to God and talking with God. And then last week, even listening to God. That's usually what we think about when we think about prayer. We, We think about it's talking to God. But uh, there's another aspect of prayer, where prayer is the way in which we commune with God, be with God, enjoy God's presence. And this element of prayer is what we're going to focus on today, and I hope that it's going to be helpful for us, because here's what I, I, I know personally in my own walk with, with Christ, and then just being your pastor, I know this is true for most of us as well, this aspect of prayer, the just being with God part, is often undervalued and uh, not done very much, <laughs> right? It, it, it's, it's like, okay, I'm going to pray. I, I'm going to start talking. And maybe, maybe I'll actually take some time to listen, either to listen to spirit, listen through the word. But just to sit with God, that, that is often undervalued and, and it just doesn't happen real often. But there are some, and even some in our church family who would say, yeah, actually for me, that's the sweet spot. That's actually my favorite part of prayer. I think about this uh, interview that uh, Mother Teresa gave on 60 Minutes uh, shortly before she passed away. She doesn't really, she didn't really often do interviews, but in this interview, uh, Dan Rather was uh, asking her some questions, and he asked her at one point, uh, Mother Teresa, when you pray, what do you say to God. 
And uh, she said, well, I don't really say anything. I just listen. Um, and that really threw him off. Right? It's like, oh, wait. Look. So there's like this awkward pause in the interview. And then, and then he's the follow-up question. He says, okay, well, well um, then uh, when you pray, what does, uh, what does God say to you? And she pauses for a minute and then says, he doesn't say anything. He just listens. <laughs> and now Dan, rather poor guy, like completely flustered. I mean, what, what do you say? And there's this, 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 this pause. I mean, in the interview, like it's there, 60 minutes, you can look it up. It, there's this pause. And then she follows up and says, and if, if, you, if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. See, uh, there is an aspect of prayer, type of prayer even, that she is alluding to there that is uh, really all about just enjoying the presence of God, just being with him, knowing that you have his attention and he has your attention, where you are just enjoying his presence. And now, that might sound kind of <laughs> uber spiritual for some of us, you know, kind of monk-like or like, yeah, that makes sense that that's Mother Teresa saying that, but like, who really does that? You know, what's that really look like in, in my prayer life? But when you think about it, this, this is not a real unfamiliar concept when you apply it to other relationships, right? Like I think about uh, with Krista and I, whenever we got engaged, she was living in Houston doing her student teaching and uh, living at her parents' house because student teaching doesn't pay anything, right? If we have any student teachers in here, yeah, that, yep. And so, um, so she's living there. I'm in, I'm in Austin working at my home church uh, with the student ministry there. And so uh, we would call each other all the time during that uh, period of our engagement. Every night we were talking lots, like lots, right, on the phone, I hated it, she hated it, we didn't like talking on the phone, and yet we would talk on the phone for hours, right, because, you know, we, we, we were in love, and so, um, but as soon as the weekend rolled around, Friday afternoon, I was hopping in the car and heading down 290 to make that two and a half hour drive to her parents' house to be with Krista, and we loved that time. It was funny. We loved it so much that we, we basically forced it to happen because, like, again, working at a church, like, I don't have a whole weekend, right? And so I, Sundays are kind of an important day. So even then, when I was working with the student ministry, I'd have to come back Sunday morning, be back at that church at, at, eight, at 8 a.m. And so we would just I'd go Friday night, and then we would stay at her parents' house, sleeping on their couch out in their living room. Just, just you know, just so you know, like, this is my... <laughs> And we, but I would stay there Friday night and Saturday night just so that we could get every minute together that Saturday to have a whole day together. And then I would wake up at 5 a.m. on Sunday morning and drive back to Austin in order to be back at the church at a time. And you know what? It was completely worth it because we all we wanted was just to be together. And during those weekends, we would often laugh because there would be moments where we just didn't like have anything really to talk about. Like we'd been talking for hours on the phone during the week. And so it's not like we had a whole lot more to say to each other, but that was okay because that, that, was, that wasn't the point. 
The point was just to be with each other. For her to have all my attention, for me to have all of hers, just enjoy being in each other's presence. Psalm uh, 42, in the very beginning of that psalm, uh, captures that kind of desire and directs it towards God. It says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Or put another way, when can I go and be with God? And friends, if your desire is simply to be with God, then you will be moved to pray. For prayer is the way that you meet with God. To quote uh, pastor and author John Ortberg, he says, uh, God is closer than we think, for he's never farther than a prayer away. I love that. God is closer than you think, for he's never farther than a prayer away. Now, uh, listen, that desire to pray as a means to just be with God is a very different desire than what often moves us to pray. Think about what Tim Keller says in his uh, book uh, entitled Prayer uh, on this subject. And uh, I I love this quote. It's kind of long, but let me just read it for, for us. It says, Consider how different this is from the normal way we use prayer. In our natural state, we pray to get God, uh, pray to God to get things. We may believe in God, but our deepest hopes and happiness reside in things such as how successful we are or in our We therefore pray mainly when our career or finances are in trouble or when some relationship or social status is in jeopardy. When life is going smoothly and our truest heart treasures seem safe, it does not occur to us to pray. We often lack any positive inner desire to pray. We do it only when circumstances force us. Why? We know God is there, but we tend to see him as a means through which we can get things to make us happy. For most of us, he has not become our happiness, and we therefore pray to procure things, not to know him better. Keller goes on, he, he adds this. He says, this changes when we discover who God truly is seen most clearly through Jesus. When we grasp his astonishingly costly sacrifice for us, we begin to realize, with the Spirit's help, the magnitude of our beliefs and blessings in Christ. Then we begin to want almost desperately to know and love God for himself. His love and regard make popularity and worldly status look pale and thin. Being delighted in him and delighting him become inherently fulfilling and beautiful. I love that. Keller is putting his finger on the fact that when we see God for who he is, again, seen most clearly through the person of Jesus, we will be moved to pray, not just to get something from God, but to get more of God himself to get more time with him. 
and to get a greater understanding of who he is. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to introduce to you a type of prayer where, Jesus, where just being with God is the point. It's often referred to as contemplative prayer. Contemplative prayer. Now, um, let me just say real quick, uh, <laughs> contemplative prayer has uh, meant different things for different people throughout ch- church history. But the, the, the concept or this wording, contemplative prayer, actually comes from something that the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. So let's look at that together. In that verse, Paul says, uh, We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit." Now, did you, did you see our word in there, right? I think I, I, I put it in bold, just, just in case you missed it. Uh, that, and so Paul is saying, okay, we all with unveiled faces, which I know is kind of weird imagery, but he's speaking about the fact that we have this un, uninhibited access to God through Jesus. And so we have this complete access to God through Jesus. So now with unveiled faces, we all contemplate and that word contemplate in the Greek is the word katoptrizo. Uh, and it, it means to gaze at or to direct the inner gaze of your heart at. And in this case, at the Lord's glory. Now, Lord's glory, just to explain that too, it, this is not like the Lord's glory in the way that a football player will speak of the Lord's glory at the end of a game and they've given the interview and he's like first you know all glory be to God that which is great but that that kind of glory is like all fame all praise be to God that's not the way that Paul is using the word glory here the word glory in this sense is a word that speaks refers to God's uh, presence and his beauty his presence and his beauty and so contemplative prayer is a type of prayer where you gaze at or you behold the presence and the beauty of God. Think it's, it's kind of similar, if you will, how you, how you might go to Colorado just to gaze at, be in the presence of, take in the mountains. In that kind of way, in contemplative prayer, what you're doing is you're going to spend time with God to be in his presence, to gaze at, to take in his beauty. That's contemplative prayer as we contemplate the glory of the Lord. Now, uh, putting this message together, I'm thinking, you know, if I'm hearing this, huh? I'm probably thinking, that sounds like, that just sounds weird. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking like, that's, that's like, that's like monk-like behavior, I think. Or, or maybe it's just like super, maybe for the super spiritual, like I'm really going to just take time out of my day just to sit and gaze at God's glory. Like, who does that, right? Now, I think that one of the reasons why we might, if you do feel that way, 
uh, is because th- th- it is kind of abstract spiritual language. And so let me, let me try to break this down a little bit for us and get a little practical about what, what really does contemplative prayer entail, right? And, and in fact, let me just point out three kind of key aspects to it. The first one is this, that a contemplative prayer begins with just recognizing God's presence. Recognizing God's presence. That often when we pray, we, we think, if you're like me, we think about God being up there somewhere, right? And so like I'm praying, I'm speaking to our Father in heaven. I mean, even Jesus says that. So I think, okay, in heaven, like, so he's way up there and I'm way down here and I'm praying up, you know, that's where my prayers are directed, up there. But, but the truth is, God is right where you are all the time. That God is completely present with you. To go back to that Ortberg quote, God is closer than you think. It's just a prayer way. I think about uh, how uh, David captures this in Psalm 139 when, he's, uh, uh, when he says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. See, in those verses, David is just reflecting on the reality that God is ever present with him. And friends, that is true for you as well. That he is ever present with you. And so the first element of contemplative prayer is just to pause and recognize that God is with you at that very moment. The reality is, is that you and I are often the ones that have been absent. You know, we've been getting the kids to school. We've been trying to get off to work, finding rush hour, or returning emails, or scrolling through Insta, or or whatever it might be. We've been in meetings, or we've been preparing for dinner, and and God has been not on our mind. We haven't acknowledged him once. We have been the one that is absent, but he has been there the entire time, right with you. John Mark Comer, pastor, author, uh, he has this line uh, when he, uh, talking about how to identify the presence of God that I really love and I've stolen and I've started using that in, in, in my daily time with God. It goes like this. He just says, uh, God, you're here. I haven't been here, but I'm here now. And now we're here together. I love that. I, I begin a lot of my prayer time with God with that phrase especially when I am entering into contemplative prayer. It, it begins with just recognizing God's presence. He, he's with you. And then after that, the second aspect of contemplative prayer is, is just reflecting on who God is. Put another way, reflecting on his beauty. Uh, this is the invitation that God gives us in Psalm 46.10. The famous verse that says, uh, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. 
The Latin uh, term for the word still there is the word vacate. And it's where we get our English word vacation. And so in a sense, you could say this is an invitation from God just to take a vacation, which is like, yes, God, I'm all for that. But specifically in this sense, take a vacation from trying to always control and manage every aspect of your life. Just be still and acknowledge that he's God. And so he's not or you're not really the one that's in control, managing everything, but he is. And just rest with that. To acknowledge who he is. To see his beauty. This, this is uh, um, so helpful to our hearts and to our souls. As we reflect on and contemplate uh, his, his beauty, it, it, does, it, it brings a rest I think about, you know, just kind of give you all some specific tips. Again, trying to keep this practical. Like the way that I, I do this personally is I like to just take a, a phrase or a title of God and just kind of mull it over. That uh, as we contemplate God, and this is important, that all of our contemplation of God needs to be uh, you know, biblically uh, sound and, and directed from God's word, who he reveals himself to be. And so when we look at scripture and you just think, okay, like I take, I'll take Psalm 23 and just take the phrase, okay, the Lord is my shepherd. And I'll just sit with that for a second, a couple minutes. And just, okay, what is that? Okay, the Lord is my shepherd. What does that tell me about who God is? About what God is like and about his heart towards me? And just mold that over. Or I'll take, the word Father. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. That's what Jesus teaches us how to pray. He says, address God as Father. So take Father. So, okay. Now, what does that tell me about what you're like? Your heart towards me. Or at other times, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just take time just to think about Jesus. Think about perhaps a story in Scripture or just Jesus, just his character in particular. And just, and just sit and, 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 if you will, gaze at Jesus, beholding who he is. Think of his compassion. Think of his patience. Think about how he spoke the truth and how he was gentle in doing it unless someone really needed to hear it. <laughs> It was as it wasn't getting through, aka with the Pharisees. I think about, you know, I just think about his character. What's he like? And how is he towards me? And man, it's so good. It's so helpful for me. See, we're all so prone to drown out our view of God as we keep just moving and going about our lives as though we are at the center of our own worlds. But taking time to just be still and know that he is God, to pause and to biblically reflect on who he is, that's how God migrates from the periphery of our life back into the center of our heart and of our world. So first two elements, recognize God's presence and then reflect on 
who he is or his beauty. And then finally, the last element of contemplative prayer is just resting in God's love. Resting in God's love. See, after recognizing God is present with you and reflecting on that, he's pre- that who is present with you, he's still another line from John Mark Comer. He says he, he takes time to look at him, to look at God, looking at you with love. To just take time to pause, looking at God, looking back at you with love. Simply resting in his love for you before you move on to any type of other prayer, petitioning or intercession or all, just resting in his love. Or before you move on to any other part of your day, you just take that time to recognize God really loves you. He's crazy about you. How often do you sit with that? If you're like me, not often enough. But it's so true. And I think about this is like Paul's beating heart for the church in Ephesus. That when he prays for them, this is his big prayer. Let me just read it for you. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, he begins, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. See, that, that's the aim of the last aspect of contemplative prayer. It's to let the Spirit help you grasp the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. To help you see that God is looking at you with love in his eyes. That he's crazy about you. That his love is deeper and it's higher and it's wider than you can imagine. And so you just sit in it for a minute or two, soaking it in, receiving his love, seeing him move towards you with love and compassion. The theologian uh, J.I. Packer says, about this kind of time of contemplation. He says, uh, says, there is a place for silence before God while joy at God's love invades the soul. For it is appropriate sometime to admire and adore God silently because when two people love each other, there are at times when they smilingly look at each other in silence. Not needing to speak, simply enjoying their close rapport. See that? That's the most basic aspect of contemplation. It's loving attention on our Father and on His love and compassion and goodwill coming to us in Christ by the Spirit. And friends, in, in our modern world, in our world today, where so many of us live at a constant state of chronic fatigue from our performance-oriented culture, this type of prayer 
Mm. Just resting in and receiving the gift of his love for us. Receiving our identity as the beloved sons and, and daughters of God. Man, that, that, that is a balm to our soul. That's, that's our lifeline. And uh, I would argue, too, it's the means to live in light of reality. And it's the means by which we will find real wholeness and transformation into the person and the people that we were made to be. Here's why I say that part. It's because uh, you look at Scripture, you find that there's two results, at least two. There's probably a lot more, but for sake of time, there's two things that result when you begin to pray these kind of contemplative prayers, when you take the time to recognize God's presence and reflect on who he is and and to recognize his love and rest in his love for you. First thing that happens is that your desire to pray just as a way to be with God will grow. Your desire to pray will grow. For you will be drawn to spend time with him as you grow in your realization of the reality of his beauty and infinite worth. That just like, uh, just like it was Krista's beauty that uh, caused me to hop in the car to drive to Houston every weekend when we see the beauty of God, we see him for who he really is, it will be, we will be moved to want to spend more time with him, just, just to be with him, just to sit in his presence. Now, the second thing that will happen as we contemplate God's glory, his beauty and presence, is that we will also become more like him. We'll become our true selves. See, that's what the Apostle Paul goes on to say in the second half of 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, if we return to that verse. Let me read it for us again. It says, We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now that word transformed is the word metamorpho in Greek, which of course is where we get our word uh, metamorphosis, right? So like, you know, think of a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. It's, it's that word. It speaks of that kind of radical transformation or that kind of radical change. And Paul is saying here that as we contemplate, as we gaze at, as we behold the Lord's glory, his presence and his beauty, the spirit works in our lives to bring about a radical change in us, changing us to become more like Jesus, changing us to become people of love. That puts simply what Paul is saying in this verse is that as we look at God, we begin to look more like God. That as we contemplate his glory, we through the spirit are being transformed into his image. See, uh, when you think about this isn't some kind of super spiritual idea. Like we, we, we all know, right, that um, we're influenced and even shaped by what we look at, right? We know that. Like, I mean, just think people who spend hours and hours of a day watching uh, um, political news often become more angry 
and more political, right? <laughs> and people uh, spend uh, hours a day uh, watching dirty TV or pornography, often become all the more lustful and addictive. The people who scroll through social media hours a day often become more envious and dissatisfied and other things. We know this. This is what happens. That we, we, What we look at has an impact on us. Think about um, what the Singaporean writer Hui Hui Tan says. She says, you are what your mind looks at. You are what you contemplate. That we become like whatever it is that we gaze upon, whether that's what's on TV or whether that's the Trinity. My point being, there is a contemplative prayer that, that my point being is that contemplative prayer is literally life-changing. It's literally life-changing. And so it's so important that we would begin this practice. And that's my invitation for y'all this morning, is that you would choose to say, okay, I'm going to set time aside to just be with God, to contemplate the Lord's glory, trusting that as I do, I will get to know him better, which would lead me to want to pray more often. And as I do, he's actually going to be at work making me more and more like him. It's worth doing, friends. But let me also warn you before I wrap up, it's not easy, okay? <laughs> Let's just be real. This, this is a hard thing to decide to really make, make time to do. And there's, and there's lots of reasons, but let me just put my finger on, on, on two of them specifically. The first, the first thing is this. Uh, it's because of uh, distraction, right? And distraction is such an obstacle to any type of prayer, but especially prayer where you're just like gazing at God's glory. It's like, okay, well, you know, I, I just, uh, you know, all of a sudden you're going to be thinking about your to-do list, or you're going to be thinking about that person or what, what he or what she said to you, or you're going to be thinking about the cell phone that's going off. And that's, <laughs> you know, you're going to have distractions, that's what's, that's what's going to be, that's going to happen. And I just want you to know that uh, that is normal. And don't beat yourself up for it. Like you're human. And as a human, you have a mind. And with that mind, it's going to go all different places often. That's okay. That's who you are. That's just like, you don't have to get upset, and I would really encourage you, don't quit trying to practice contemplative prayer just because you are who you are. Like you say, okay, I, I have, yeah, <laughs> distractions are going to be a part of it. That's okay. I think about what Thomas Keating wrote in his book, Open Mind, Open Hearts, which is like the seminal work on what he calls centering prayer. He, in there, he writes about how if your mind gets distracted a thousand times in 10 minutes of prayer, then that's a thousand chances just to come back to God. So he's always there, happy to have you return time and time again. And so don't give distractions a second thought. That's my tip, best practice that I know when it comes to dealing with distractions 
when you're trying to pray in this contemplative way. It's just don't give them a second thought. Don't think bad about yourself because of them. Don't just, just it happened. I got distracted. Now let me come back to God. Again, he's always been there. <laughs> you might for a second be absent, but now you're back with him and begin again to gaze at his glory and recognize his presence and see his love towards you. Okay, so that's the first one you need to overcome, distractions. Second thing that you're going to need to overcome is the challenge of hurry. Hurry. And there's a lot that could be said on this. In fact, there's a whole book, that's multiple books that's been written on it. One that we're a big fan of in this church family, which is John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And if you've never read that, I would highly recommend you pick it up. It's, it's, it's excellent, great help, especially in growing in your relation with Christ. And that book, even the title of that book, comes from a quote from Dallas Willard, where he says that you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life if you're going to connect with God in this way. That to, to, to really have deep communion with God, you have to ruthless eliminate, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Um, but <laughs> to, to eliminate hurry from your life, friends, uh, you have to get to a point where, where you're just not so driven by the desire to be productive all the time. And especially in order to pray contemplatively. Like when you think about praying with intercession or petition, like you're really asking God to do something. And in that way, you are literally co-laboring with God to see his kingdom come and his will be done. And there is a productive element to those kinds of prayers that are tangible. I ask and, and God will move. He, like you ask and you receive, as he says. And so there's but when it comes to contemplative prayer, there isn't such a quick exchange. It's not like I'm asking God to do something. It's not work in that sense. It's just rest. It's being still. It's taking that vacation. It's, it's just being with God. And many times, that just doesn't feel productive. And so you have to be okay with that. Because it's not about productivity. It's about being with God. It's about sitting with him, being in his presence, and getting to know him better and receiving his love. Uh, Henry Nouwen once called prayer, wasting time on God. <laughs> And he didn't actually mean it was a waste of time. He meant that in our productivity-obsessed culture, where time is money and money is God, where entertainment and stimulation fill every crevice of our time, to give God your time and loving attention, for him to do or not to do with it whatever he pleases, is wasteful in the eyes of our culture. But like the story in John's Gospel of Mary pouring out expensive perfume on Jesus' feet, it's an act of love and worship. And it's the only fitting response to the beauty of who Jesus is. And so it is worth doing. For the main thing we get out of contemplative prayer isn't a different life outcomes from God, 
It is God himself. And he is what we need more than anything else in the world. And so, friends, just again, to get real practical with you, to help me slow down and find time to contemplate the Lord's glory, I, best tip I've ever received on this, I set a timer. And I know that doesn't sound spiritual at all, but I, I, I just set five-minute timer on my phone, and then I flip that phone over, and I have it where the, you know, the sound is on, so I know that when the five minutes is up, so I don't have to keep like, checking and see, like, it's only 20 seconds have passed. Oh, man. But, and I just carve out that amount of time to help me recognize God's presence with me, to reflect on who he is, and to receive his love. And I walk through those things, that progression. And I'll be honest, when I started doing this, I said it for two minutes. <laughs> and then I, I felt I was loving it. And I was like, well, I want more time. And so I moved it to five minutes. At some point in time, I might move it to more than that. And there are times where I just like do like, a, I, I, one of the things that's a blessing as a pastor is I get, I take a whole week and get to do this once a week. I mean, once, once a year. And so there's that time. But as a daily practice, with busy life, parents of three kids and all the things that we have going on, I just found like if I could just carve out five minutes just to sit with God. Oh, man. It's so life-giving. It's become my favorite part of spending time with God. Because you know what? It turns out, he's beautiful. He is incredible. And I have been getting to know him better. And it's so good. And you know what? He loves me. Like, he really loves me. Not just all of us, but like there's a personal love that he has for me. And I'm getting to understand that and grasp that to greater degrees as a result of just sitting with him in contemplative prayer. And friends, here's, here is, huh, here's my invitation. You should do that too. Because I think you'll find that he is even better than you realize. And he loves you more than you will ever understand completely. He really does. So why don't you take time to sit with him? Recognize his presence. See who he is. And receive his love. I think you're going to be really glad you do that. This week, uh, in our prayer and fasting guide, in our 28 days of prayer and fasting, uh, this week's focus is that, practicing the presence of God. Each day, there's a uh, prompt, a prayer, or some verses that help you kind of just tune your heart into who God is and his heart towards you. And then uh, an encouragement for you to take five minutes, and again, I would set a timer, to just do this. Begin this practice. 
and see what God begins to do in your heart. Because over time, and it's probably not going to be right away, but over time you will find that you will grow to want to spend more time with him as you see him for who he is. You'll pray more. And two, over time, you will become more like him as he transforms you into his image, as you contemplate his glory. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us, because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven. Thank you.